How is everyone doing today? Eh, is that not a good day, huh? <laughs> no one is excited to be here, huh? Oh, there we go. Yes, thank you. Okay, so I need to clear the air on a few things. Uh, first off, this is not a real tattoo. This is what happens when you go on a youth trip, and all they're all getting you know, the spray tan tattoos, and you're like, I want to be like them. Yeah, it's like if someone else jumps off a bridge, and you're like, I want to be like them, you jump off the bridge too kind of deal. And so I told the youth, I was like, okay, I'll get one, but you guys have to come to agreement on what it is. And I, I'll be honest, it was the greatest showing of Christian unity I've ever seen. Because it took them about two seconds to all turn and point to the My Little Pony one. And so I've had this stuck on my arm and I can't get it off. And I'll tell you, you get a lot of strange looks from men and a lot of really uncomfortable looks from some men as well, if you know what I mean, when you have this on your arm. So it's been an interesting few days as well. Also, you probably noticed that a few of our youth are uh, wearing capes right now. Um, they all bought these Robin, like Batman and Robin capes at Six Flags. And uh, then they ended up buying me one, a Batman one. And they were like, hey, if we all wear it, will you wear yours? And I was like, sure, because I didn't think they honestly would. And, and so now I, I've got to keep my word. And uh, <laughs> this will be an interesting Sunday, right? Yeah. Probably bet I'm the only pastor in America right now wearing a cape right now during a sermon. So you guys are all lucky you're here for that. Hey, if you have a Bible and you want to join us and following along where we're going to be at, we're going to dive into 1 Kings chapter 17. We're also going to hit on the book of Amos and the book of Hosea. So you might want to make a tab in all those locations. So before we get into the Word of God and all that, and as you're turning in your Bible and want to follow along, let me ask you a question. Have you ever given up on anything in your life? Like maybe you're like me and you acquire a lot of hobbies in life and then later on you lose interest and you give up on them. Or, or maybe it's something bigger. Like maybe you're like me and you're like, I'm going to go to the gym more often. I'm going to get, you know, exercise and things like that. And for a while you're passionate and then you just, you know, you're on your way to the gym and you pass Donut House. Or maybe on the way, other way you pass Baskin Robbins and guys, it's hard, Right? I'll be honest, I have not hit the gym since Harper was born almost three months ago. And as my ever-loving wife tells me, I'm starting to gain a little bit of weight and stuff like that. So my mind's been thinking, man, I'm paying for this gym membership that I haven't even gone to, but I'm not sure if I will go back to it. It's this mentality that we all have, right, that we, we naturally find things that eventually we quit. And that's not always a bad thing, but it can be. Because sometimes we quit things that are really good. Like maybe you're someone who, you have a tendency that you quit on other people because you're afraid that they'll come and quit on you eventually. Or maybe you've experienced that. You've had someone come up and tell you, hey, I don't like you anymore. I'm done. Things like that. We've all like had that, those terrible breakup conversations, right? Maybe it was an employer who kind of looked at you and said, you're fired. It could have been a friend maybe who was like, hey, I don't want to be your friend anymore. I know that sounds childish, but that does happen, right? We have all in some ways experienced that pain of feeling like someone has quit on us. And so it's easy when we experience it from other people or maybe when we instigate it to come to the next thought of wondering, does God ever quit on anybody? It, we all have these thoughts sometimes. And we can find probably justification to make us think that God would quit on us. We're thinking, God, you would quit on me because of this thing I've done the other day, the other night, 
The thing I did years ago that I still haven't been able to forgive myself for. We can all get to this spot. And it's easy to justify and think, well, God, if he's anything like me, he would have given up on me, right? I mean, we can even look at the Israelites. And these are the special people of God, the ones that God says, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. You're going to be my heroes to all the people, right? And what did we see last week? We saw them really mess this up. Because they always do this. They always take the good things that God gives them, and then they find a way to completely destroy it. That's their nature. That's our human nature as well. And so we saw that this nation of Israel, who was supposed to be a blessing upon the world, we saw them destroy themselves. They, they go to civil war. They split apart into two different nations. We've got Samaria in the north and Judah in the south. And we see them just unravel, right? They go from the, being this nation of God, this nation that, that wants to follow God, that wants to bring a, God's blessing into the world, to a nation that hates God. They don't want anything to do with God or any of the promises of God or any of his blessings. They completely turn their back on God. They abandoned him. They gave up on him. And we would look at that and be like, God, this would be justification for you to quit on them. Just quit. Go on your own separate way. God, you find a new people, start over with them, right? But is that what God does? No. He sends them these individuals known as the prophets. To kind of bring his people back, to cry out to them, say, guys, this is not right. And see, we think of the prophets, and we naturally think of fortune tellers. We think of these are the people who tell the future about what's going to happen one day. And they have that role to a tiny degree, but the real role was not to tell the future. The role of the prophets was to convict the people of their injustice and charge them to be faithful to God. To be faithful to the covenant they made with God. And remember, the covenant in its simplest form was that they were agreeing that they're going to listen to God and they're going to love God, right? And that was the, basically, in the simplest form, the agreement they made with God. And so the prophets come around and they're basically saying, guys, we've failed to do this. We need to get back on track because what we're doing is we're creating injustice. Rather than being the people who are going to be a blessing upon the world, who are supposed to be fighting this injustice, rather instead, we've become the people who are creating it, who are celebrating it even. And so God sends these prophets to try to talk sense into people, try to get them to see clearly. Take our man, Elijah. If you have your Bible open and you want to follow along with me, I'll be in 1 Kings chapter 17 as we're going to be looking at our buddy Elijah. Elijah, he comes on the scene at a time when the nation of Samaria, okay, so when they split apart the northern nation of Samaria, and the northern nation of Samaria really turned evil, right? We called that last week. So Elijah shows up on the scene, and he goes to confront the king at the time. The king's name was Ahab. Ahab marries this monster of a woman named Jezebel. And these, this king and queen are so evil that they're not just, hey, we're not following God. They adamantly hunt down those who do. Right? So in just a few generations, they go from this nation that wants to serve God, that wants to be a blessing upon the world, to a nation that's actually hunting down the followers of God. Of God. And so Elijah shows up on the scene as a prophet, as the one who's following God. And here's what happens, all right? It's in chapter 17. He enters into the court of King Ahab, right? The last place you want to be if you're a follower of God, right? And he enters the court and he says this It says, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So he kind of walks into the court and he's like, Guys, 
Because of the sin that we're a part of here, this nation's not going to see a single drop of rain for three years. There's not even going to be a cloud in the sky for three years. And we would look at that and be like, well, that's kind of crazy, right? Like if anyone walked into the room and said that, we would probably laugh at them like, okay, yeah, um, get on out of here, right? And so that's probably what people are thinking about Elijah. But here's the crazy thing. God answers this statement that Elijah makes. So for three years, not a single cloud was seen in the sky. Not a drop of rain. And let me tell you, that's a big deal when you're in a farming community that lives in the desert. Water is everything. And this is supposed to be God trying to get the people's attention of saying, hey, your sin is going to require consequences if you don't repent. You need to come back and be my people, right? But they don't listen. They don't repent. And so then Elijah eventually shows back up on the scene. Three years later, not a single drop of rain. He goes back in front of Ahab, and Ahab's response when he sees Elijah is just awesome. It's straight fire. Like, this is the perfect compliment for someone who's not a a man of God to say to someone who is a man of God. I love it. It's in chapter 18, where Ahab, when he sees Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Like, I love that response. Because here's the irony. Ahab is the real troubler of Israel, right? He's the guy who's going around and ordering that his, the followers of God need to be killed, right? Because he's instituting his own deity, his own worship. And he's calling Elijah the troubler of Israel when he's the one who's actually causing all the trouble. It's this funny little irony here. Well, Elijah has shown back up in the king's courts because he's got a challenge. He knows he's the only prophet and that uh, Ahab and his wife Jezebel have started this new religion of this worship of a god named Baal. And he's like, okay, let's put this to the test. Let's see which one's the real, okay, god. And let's, let's have a contest. And the contest is who can bring down lightning first. And so it's Elijah in one corner against 850 prophets of Baal in the other corner. And everyone comes out to see it. I mean, this is going to be a big spectacle. They're expecting, like, Elijah to get egg on his face, Right? And so they, they set up in their own little corners. And Elijah, he's a gentleman, so he's like, you guys go first. See if you can get your God to bring lightning down on this scene, right? And so here's this funny little thing. They, they dance around. They try to make this happen. In chapter 18, verse 26, it says, And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and it called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us, right? And here's the comedy. But there was no voice, and no one answered And we would think, of course, I mean, this is like a man-made item, right? You guys are worshiping this thing of wood and stone that you made and now call as a god. I mean, what god needs you to make him for you to turn around and worship him, right? Like, that's kind of silly. But we do the exact same thing, right? Like, when we have society that's all about worshiping, you know, sex, money, and power, just like the Israelites, right? We do the exact same thing. And we can look at them and we can laugh at them, but it should challenge us to think, is there ways that we're possibly the same way? Right? And so they're sitting there, they dance and limp around this altar that they make, and they're crying out, Oh, Baal, answer us, call down fire, hear our prayers, and, and no one answers. Like I said, no surprise. And what gets really funny about this story is Elijah's response. I mean, this is just awesome, his response to this, where he looks at them in and, and chapter 18, verse 27, and says, And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. 
Either he's musing or he's relieving himself, which is code for maybe your guy's on the toilet and you just need to scream a little bit louder so he can hear you from back there, right? And he says maybe he's musing or relieving himself or, or maybe he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. He's basically saying, your God, maybe he's just lazy. Maybe he's lost his way. He doesn't know where he's at and he's trying to find, like he's making all this mockery towards them and they just cry out louder and louder. They even get to the point where they start physically harming themselves, thinking this will make our God hear us if he sees our, his prophets suffering, right? And, of course, nothing happens. It's just this big laughing stock. It's 850 of these guys are dancing around, beating themselves with a whip, and Elijah's making a joke of, maybe your God's on the toilet, you're right? You know? <laughs> maybe, maybe he's had a bad night, too much Mexican last night. Let's get to him. Just give him a little bit of time, right? That's how Elijah's responding. Well, eventually they give up, and so it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah starts out where he goes to the spot where there used to be an altar for God, and he rebuilds it. And then he orders that 12 large jars of water would be dumped upon the sacrifice. Now, this isn't like a tiny little jelly jar in your cabinet jar. This is like a man-sized jar full of water, and he orders for 12 of them to be filled. And now that's significant because there hasn't been a drop of rain in three years. So water is a big deal. Like, people be hungry and thirsty, and Elijah's like, hey, I know this is probably the last water you have, so we're just going to dump it all on top of this. It's a great showing of trust. He's basically betting not only his life, but basically the life of the whole community in this moment. He's like, if this doesn't work, guys, we're all dead, right? But I want you to do this. And they listen to him. They, they dump all of their water on top of the sacrifice, and Elijah, he doesn't go around dancing and screaming like all these other prophets. He stops and he says one quiet little prayer. And here's what he says. Verse 36. He says, O Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now, that should be a red flag because we've looked at that. Whenever the Bible says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's basically saying God of the misfits, the screw-ups, right? Because that's who these guys were, remember, when we looked at that a few weeks ago. It says, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, you know, O God of the misfits and the screw-ups and the losers, right? Please hear this prayer. He says, Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me that these people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God, and that you have not turned your back, or you have turned their backs, turned their hearts back. And immediately from this humble prayer, lightning strikes. And it's so intense that not only does it burn up all the water, all, all the uh, sacrifice, it turns the altar into dust even. It's such a powerful explosion. And the people cry out when they, as soon as they happen, they all fall on their knees in verse 39. It says, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And we would look at that and think, oh, this is a great success. They've abandoned this other deity, this other idol that they were worshiping, that they were chasing after, and they've returned to God. But unfortunately, that's not what happens. So they have this temporary moment of excitement, temporary moment where they got to see God work, and they're like, yes, I want to follow this God. And then Monday morning happened, right? You know what I'm talking about. Monday morning happens, and we're back to the old routine. And that's exactly what happens with them. Where this great spectacle that God has done wasn't enough to change the heart of the people. But Elijah wasn't the only prophet during this time. You see, when Elijah couldn't get the job done, God continued to send more prophets. He sends a guy named Amos. Now, if you like to read someone's temper tantrum, you're going to enjoy the book of Amos. 
This guy is just road rage all over the place. He is angry, right? So if you're like, hey, I'm an angry person, you're probably going to relate a lot to Amos, right? And so Amos, he's like this roaring lion, and he shouts out to the people about their sin. Here's what happens. In the book of Amos, it's in chapter 3, verse 10. Here's what he says. He says, they do not know how to do right, declares Yahweh. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the people of God. The people who are supposed to be a blessing upon all the nations. Here's God saying, they don't know how to do right. They're all wrong. Okay, it goes on. He says, those who store violence and robbery in their strongholds. He said, they became a society that's all about violence. That's what we've been talking about. They, they became these people whose central focus was sex, money, and power. That's all they cared about. And here's God pointing it out to them. He's like, this is not right. And here's what happens. He says, therefore, this is what God's saying. Therefore, thus says Yahweh God. An adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. See, Amos in this moment, he's calling for the people's attention. He's like, guys, you have failed. You're, you're not right. Okay, God himself is saying that there is something seriously wrong about you because you've rejected him. You've abandoned him. You have quit on God. And he's basically saying, if this doesn't change, there will be consequences. He's talking about an evasion that's coming. It's what we're going to be looking at for the next two weeks of the consequences of Israel's actions because they would not listen to God. They would not love God like they were supposed to. And Amos, he's begging for them. He's like, don't fall into this mistake. Guys, you've made this mistake. Turn around. Don't keep going the way you keep, you've been going. He even encouraged them with this message of hope in chapter 5, verse 14. He's given them the solution here of how they can change their hearts. Verse 14 says, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so Yahweh, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. So he's saying, be a person who will listen and love God, who will seek good rather than seeking the violence you've been seeking. Rather than seeking your selfish tendencies like you've been seeking, seek so, be a person who seeks good, to be a person who brings good in this world. He goes on, verse 15, to elaborate more on this. He says, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. Notice that they weren't doing this. Rather, they loved the evil things they could do. They hated being a good, nice person. They were people who were not bringing justice into the land. They were people looking for any excuse to throw justice under the rug so they can do their own thing, right? But he says, if you change this and you flip this around, he said, it may be that Yahweh, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So he's calling for them to change their ways, to look themselves seriously in the eye, to see who they have been, and to do differently. But here's the thing. The people didn't listen to Amos either. So God sent another prophet, a prophet named Hosea. And Hosea's got a similar message. He starts off once again pointing out, guys, there's a problem here. It's in Hosea chapter 4. He says, hear the word of Yahweh, O children of Israel, for Yahweh has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. I mean, how would you like that? Think of it when you were a kid and your parents were like, Get in here. You're in trouble, right? Like, we've all had those conversations with our parents, right, when they called us out. That's basically what Hosea starts out. He's like, God wants to have a meeting with you because there's a problem you've done wrong. We need to settle this, right? And so he says, you know, hear the word of Yahweh, O children of Israel, for Yahweh has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. And here's the controversy. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. No knowledge of God in the land. How sad is that when these are the people of God? But they don't know God. They don't care for him. And therefore, there's no faithfulness. There's no love in them. They, they've completely abandoned listening to love in God. They don't even know who God is anymore, right? 
That's who they are. And he goes on to say in verse 2, the same, what has happened in saying is they're swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. He's like, you were supposed to be the people who listen and love God, who bring blessing and goodness in this world, but rather instead you've chosen selfishness, pride, and arrogance, and it's destroying everything. And see, Hosea goes on from this to talk about how this is a problem, not just for them individually, but this is a problem for the rest of the world because they have failed to be who they were meant to be. It's in verse 3 now, in chapter 4 of Hosea, where he says, Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. He's saying, guys, you were supposed to be the people who listen and love God. You were supposed to be the people who would be a blessing upon the nations. But because you have failed that, the world itself around us has suffered. Which is a huge message that when God's people have failed to be who God has wanted his people to be, the world around us suffers. That should be a serious message to us today. That as Christians, if we fail to be who God has made us to be, who has called us to be, if we fail to be this, then not just we suffer, but those around us suffer too. Because this promise that God made to Israel to be a blessing upon all the nations is fulfilled in Christ so that we could be a part of it. So if we fail to be who we are meant to be, just like the Israelites have, then the community around us, the state, the country, the world around us, will suffer because we have failed to be who we were meant to be. And that's a serious challenge. Think about that in your situation that you're in. Whatever situation is causing anger, frustration, pain, right? Whatever that situation is in your life, think about this. Are you being who God wants you to be in that situation? Or are you maybe doing something in that situation that is maybe causing you to fail to be who you were meant to be and therefore fail to, to bring goodness and blessing in the world? Because that's what the Israelites did. And the challenge here is for us to not be like that. But the Israelites didn't listen. They didn't listen to Elijah. They didn't listen to Amos. They didn't listen to Hosea. They didn't listen to about a dozen other prophets that you can find their stories in this Bible and many others. They refused to listen. And yet God kept sending prophets over and over and over, trying to get the people to turn. Now the prophet's message was kind of uncomfortable in some ways. Because they'd always start off saying, guys, there's a problem, and if we don't fix this, there will be consequences. Because that's the honest truth about sin. That if we continue to build sin in our lives, there will be consequences. But they also inspired hope. That there is a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God who wants to be having your attention to save you from the consequences, from your actions. This is the God of the Bible, my friends. And so we can look at this story and we can look at how the Israelites were just screw-ups. How much failures they are. But if we stop and actually look at who God is in this story and what kind of character he's showing as he's sending these prophets one at a time, what it's teaching us about God is that God does not give up on us. God does not give up on us. Which is really encouraging because sometimes we feel like, man, everyone's given up on me. Or maybe we're the ones who are guilty of giving up on others. And here's this God who is adamant about the fact that he wants to save us from the consequences of our sin. And he keeps sending people into our lives, keeps sending us a message of saying, hey, I'm not giving up on you. 
And I know you might be like me, where your heart is prone to wander. You might have kids and family members like this. You might be thinking, man, I always walk away from God. But here's the encouraging thing. Our Jesus, it chases after us. Because while we might be prone to wander, my friends, Jesus chases after us much more intensely than we wander away from him. That's the joy of the scriptures. That's the joy of the gospel that as God kept sending prophets one at a time and his people would not listen, what he finally did is he took on flesh and he came on the scene. And he died for our sins upon a cross. And then three days later, he rose again, conquering sin and death, being crowned as the king of the universe, all to give a message saying that he does not give up on us. But that his plan is the same from the very beginning. That humanity would be in a family relationship with him that they would be a blessing upon the nations. And we get to take part in that even today. Though we're not the nation of Israel, we get to take part in that because of what Christ has done, how he has opened the doors for you and I to be part of this family. But when we screw up, and we screw up a lot, right? It's the comfort here knowing that God does not give up on us. That he gives us a second chance, a third chance, over and over. He never gives up on us. He keeps saying, I see you made a mistake. You can either step into the consequences of this sin or you can trust me. You can come to me. This is the God we worship, my friends. And why is this so? Because of Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us about what this Jesus has done. He says, but God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died. For us. All to make a way for what we read in chapter 10 of the book of Romans, where it says this in chapter 10, verse 13. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We'll be saved. So here's the choice that's presented before us today. We've just read this story about how the Israelites failed to listen when God kept sending prophets to them. Now, one greater than all the prophets, Christ Himself, Jesus, God in the flesh, has come. And he's offering up the same choice. Will we listen? Will we love him? The Israelites didn't listen. But will you? The Israelites didn't love God. But will you? See, that's the choice presented here today of what God speaks in his story about the prophets. It's not that we need to have our lives all together, but that we have hearts that want to come to God and surrender. Hearts that say, God, I have messed up. Will you please forgive me? Hearts that will say, God, I want to choose your goodness and your life for me. Lives that say, God, I want to help bring your goodness back into this world around me. Because I've seen how you've done it in my life. That's the choice that's before us. And maybe you've never said yes to that choice to Jesus. Here, well, maybe this morning God is speaking to your heart, to your soul, because you realize you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You realize you've been like the Israelites. You've been ignoring what God has been trying to tell you. And I'm sitting here telling you that there are many people who come to church who will think, I came to church, therefore I'm listening to God. But that might not be true for your life. Because there's going to be a lot of people at the end of the day, at the end of time, who are going to stand before God and be like, God, I went to church. And he's going to look at them and say, I never knew you. Because they never really surrendered their life to Jesus. They wouldn't listen to the message of Jesus. Will you listen? 
I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you never surrendered your life to Jesus and said, God, would you please forgive me? Will you start over with me? Can we go in a new direction? I see how you've never given up on me. I want to follow you. I want to love Jesus. I want to love God and love people. If you've never had that conversation about the God who never gives up on you, I want this morning to be that morning for you. That's why in the back of the room here in a little bit, there's going to be men and the women in the back of the room that you can talk to. I'll be over there if you need to talk to me. Let this be the Sunday where maybe your life turns around, where you stop playing the church game, but you came to hearts of surrender. You came humbly before God and said, God, I need you in my life, and I see how you never gave up on me. I want this Sunday to be an opportunity for you in that regard, to make a choice that might change your life. And if that's the case, there's going to be men and women in the back of the room who would love to talk to you. But maybe the choice that you need to make is not that. You've made that choice before. You're like, man, Mason, I love God. I'm trying my best to love people. But maybe what God is saying to you right now is that you've not lived in your purpose. As someone who was created in the image of God, as someone who's in a relationship with God, you're like, Mason, I've been playing the game. I said yes a long time ago. I love Jesus. I come to church and stuff like that. But my life is not like what it should be. My life, it looks like Sunday morning, this is great, but Monday through Saturday, it looks a lot like the Israelites and the condition that they got themselves into. And remember what Hosea said, that when God's people failed to be who they were meant to be, the world around them suffers. And maybe this morning that's what God is saying to you, that the world around you is suffering because you have failed to be who you are meant to be. And I hope that this morning will be a challenge for you to, to make a change. And if you need to talk to someone, once again, please come and talk to us. We would love to have that conversation with you. Because our heart here is we want to make Jesus famous. Because the church doesn't exist for us, my friends. It exists to make Jesus famous. And that might mean that he needs to be made famous in your life. Where you're like, hey, I follow Jesus. I I love Jesus. I've said the prayer. I've got baptized and all that. But my life has not been in the right direction. My life has not been living in the purpose that God has for me love him, to love people, to spread the goodness of who he is. Because you were made, just like the Israelites, to be a blessing upon those around you. And I hope that this morning might be an encouragement for you to make that decision, to be that kind of person. Because my friends, Christianity is not about being religious snobs. It's not about a morally good behavior. It's about a life that's in celebration and joy of what Christ has done for us. And we live to seek him. We live to seek his kingdom. We live to see it seen in those around us. That's what Christianity is about. What your purpose, when you said yes to Jesus, should be about as well. To live a life that says, I want to make Jesus famous in everything I do. To bring him glory in everything I do. Does that look like your life today? No one can answer that for you. That's not a answered for you because you were dragged here to church by your parents. That's not answered for you because you're an American or because of what a political party you vote. That's not answered for you because you came to church. That's answered when you have a serious conversation with God. And I think he wants to have that conversation with you. Won't you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much that you have inspired us as a church to be a church for those who have given up on church. And I recognize that part of the core of that message, to be that kind of church, is to understand that you have not given up on us. 
while we might have any excuse out there imaginable to give up on you, to give up on your church, to give up on others. It's a wonderful message to open up the word and see that you do not give up on us. But I recognize the responsibility that we have in return to listen to you, to choose you in return. And so, Father, I ask that this morning, if there are any of those in this room who are not part of your family, who do not have a relationship with you, that you would speak in their heart this morning, that you would bring about a change in them this morning to say yes to you. Or, Father, if there are those who have said yes to you, but their life, it does not look like what you want it to look like. They've said yes to you, thinking salvation, but they've gone around with the rest of their life, Father. But this morning, I pray that you would speak to them, give them a heart and a passion to live a life that looks like loving you and loving people for your glory, to make you famous, to seek you in every little aspect of their life, Father. I pray that those decisions would be made. I pray that we would be a people who would listen to you, the Israelites, we see how they failed. And this was written down so that we would learn the lesson not to ignore you. But to see that maybe sometimes you send people into our lives to, to convict us, to challenge us, Father. And so, Father, I pray that when those people come, that we would listen. And we've seen how you came in Jesus. So give us hearts that would listen to you. Give us hearts that surrender to you. Make us who you are.